He was like, I think we should start a podcast. And I was like, mm, I don't think like we're people who can start podcasts. Like we don't have like, you know, degrees in broadcasting or radio. And he's like, no, that's a beautiful thing about podcasting. Like anyone can start one. Welcome to On Arrival, the Traveler's Podcast. We're your hosts, KT and Jordan. Throughout our 20s, we've lived and traveled all around the world and fell in love with exploring new cultures. Here at On Arrival, we interview some of the world's most eccentric travelers to hear their original and authentic stories. We hope this show inspires you to take your next trip. And that when you land, you have a game plan. On Arrival. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a giveaway going on this week. Head over to our Instagram at On Arrival Travel for all the details. Let's start us off today with some listener questions. This week's questions come from Catherine and Matt. We're going to start with Catherine's question. Her question is how to pack in two carry-ons, a suitcase and a what backpack. Those suitcase fees, those check baggage fees. I like it. Minimalist lifestyle. It's great. All right. So first and foremost, you want to pack as few shoes as possible. Those take up a lot of space. What size shoe do you wear, Jordan? So I wear a size 15, so it's even more important for me. <laughs> but another good tip is to use your shoes to pack things. Mm-hmm. For context, like I can fit my straightener inside of his shoe. His shoes are huge. So we put like our perfume, cologne, all the above in there. Thanks for that. You're welcome. They get it. (laughs) But yeah, cologne, anything you want to protect, you know, glass or like little things like that. I put like my shavers and stuff in there. So anything you want to keep safe, you don't want breaking in your luggage. Good Mm -hmm. idea to put it inside shoes. My favorite organization tip is packing cubes. I'm obsessed with them. I put like my bra and underwear in one. I put my makeup in one. I put my toiletries in one. And it's just a great way when you arrive at a destination, you know exactly where everything is. Easy access. Yeah. I don't use packing cubes, but I can see how they're useful for you. Mm -hmm. I like to fold my clothes with as little folds as possible. So As flat as they can be, right? As flat as can be. So I'll fold them like once, Mm -hmm. maybe. And that that for me, that's I feel like that's the best way I use the least space. Mm -hmm. And then for me, I like to kind of roll them up into like a cylinder. And that saves a lot of space for me. But I also do that elongated fold like Jordan was talking about. As far as like your backpack... Keep it essential stuff you need for on the flight. Important documents. Snacks. Snacks are important. We love packing a snack bag. Like we are like toddlers. We literally bring a snack bag every time we fly. Easy access snacks. We have our passport, our phones, chapstick. Airport snacks are just so expensive. So it's nice to have your own option. Also, obviously you're going to keep your computer in there, your iPad, chargers. Mm -hmm. I always keep my neck pillow with me. Okay. That's one thing I always okay. keep in my bag. <laughs> What's next? Um, and another thing that Jordan and I have been doing as of this year is doing that crossbody bag and just having like a small crossbody where we put items like our phone and our chapstick and our passport. passport. I used to Wallet. put them in my backpack, but I don't do that now. I use Wallet, a crossbody. Yeah. Anything that's really important or like you need 
often or really good access to. Mm-hmm. Put it in that crossbody. We both got Nike crossbody bags, different styles, but it's those nice. are very convenient. Yeah, because you got to think like I was having to take off my backpack every time I wanted my wallet or every time I wanted my passport. And now it's just right on my chest. And it's like a safety thing too. It makes me feel better knowing it's right there. And if you're on a short trip, you can even pack like a rolling carry-on and have your crossbody. You don't even need a backpack, which is also nice. And then mm-hmm. you're not, you don't have as much to carry. Yeah. Or you just have the backpack and the crossbody like we did for Aruba. Exactly. Yeah. I think the biggest answer to that question is just be very particular about what is important. Mm-hmm. You know, be very discerning. Yes. Thank you, Catherine, for the question. Let's move on to Matt. We're basically playing a game here. It's a travel version of this or that. So I'm going to introduce a topic and Jordan, you tell me which one. Airport or road trip? Airport. Same with me. Walk everywhere or Uber everywhere? (laughs) Uber. (laughs) Uh, Walk for me. VRBO or hotel? Hotel. Same for me. Sleep in or (laughs) up early? Up early. (laughs) Sleep in for me. Tropical or city? Mm, I can't decide on that one. I like both. I would say tropical for me. Oh, but then again, I like the city. Yeah, it's hard. It's okay, hard. I I'll can't choose. I can't choose on that one. Mountain or beach? I'd say beach. Same. Adventure or relaxing? Most times adventure, I would say. Yeah, same. But then we have like those in the summer, we like to take like a beach vacation that's relaxing. Yeah, so. you need that every now and again. But more times than not, we're on the go. Mm-hmm. Desert or snow? Desert. Ooh, praying for somewhere warm this year. <laughs> Not the desert, please. <laughs> Not the desert, but visit, somewhere warm. Yeah. Somewhere with minimal snow. Yeah, that, that'd be ideal. After last, I think we've got enough snow last year for a few years. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, Matt. All right. So this week in travel? Yes, this week in travel. I just want to go back to last week's topic that we touched on, which was the Olympics and the COVID situation in Japan. A little update there. There's at least seven teams that have had run-ins with the COVID-19 virus in Tokyo already. Those include like Brazil, Uganda, Serbia, Israel, and several other nations. I was reading that this has been like a lot to handle for the hotels in Japan and their staff, where Japan is a country with... I think it's like 10% of people or whatever we said last week that are vaccinated. So you got to think like these staff members are having to take care of athletes that are infected and they're not potentially vaccinated themselves. Yeah. And I was reading just the difficulty they're having in keeping the staff separate from the athletes because the staff is so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation, but we are just days out from the July 23rd opening ceremony. So hopefully they can pull it together by then. We will see. I'm excited to watch. Cheer on Slovenia. Yeah. And USA, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Cheering both on, wishing them both success. But I can imagine it's tough being quarantined to that room. So hopefully. Yeah. You got to think like this is your big moment, the Olympics. And say you had like COVID or you're just recovering from it or you're, you had a contact. So you're stuck in your hotel room for days and this is like leading up to your big moment. So it's kind of, you'd be like stuck in your room, like thinking about like, 
the opportunity ahead, it might be a little nerve wracking, but also, I mean, once in a lifetime. Yeah. And the margin of error at that level is so slim. I can Mm -hmm. only imagine trying to recover from COVID and compete at a world-class level. So uh, crazy. All right, moving on. So we had an episode a couple months ago with a friend of ours, Sam Elliott, who is on a cruise ship to nowhere in Singapore. It was episode number seven. So if you haven't listened, go back and listen to that one. And we got worried for a second. We saw an article about a cruise ship in Singapore cruising to nowhere that is in quarantine. We were like, oh no, Sam. <laughs> I like text her. I was like, hey, are you okay? She's like, oh no, it's not my ship. I'm Good like, news okay. is not her ship, but thousands of people on a cruise ship in, in Singapore were quarantined to their rooms because of a COVID case. So it's a developing situation, but we were worried. We're happy Sam is okay. And just a crazy time with so many people trying to get back to travel and the world still not being quite right yet. Mm-hmm. Everybody's still trying to figure it out. So just be safe and, you know, be mindful. I have a question, Jordan. Would you feel confident cruising right now? Do you think the the risk is bigger than the reward? I do. <laughs> yeah, it's tough because on the one hand, you can make the case that it's safer because you are able to control the environment. But at the same time, if like a case like this leaks through into your secure environment, all of a sudden, everybody's kind of quarantined together on this boat and it's like way worse. Mm-hmm. So, And I say no because I am not a fan of cruising, which I have said in previous episodes. And I just can't imagine being quarantined on a boat for that long. Like I, I had a hard time with a five-day cruise. So it wouldn't be good for me. Jordan, you could probably do it, but it'd just get a little boring because you can't leave your room. Right. Yeah, I'd probably say no. I would not feel confident in doing a cruise right now. Yeah. But on a lighter note, the future of plane seating was an article that I came across recently. Plane designers are always coming up with new innovative ways to fit as many people on the plane as possible. Of course, airlines want that. But... To also make it a more comfortable experience. I know Jordan, being as tall as he is, has a hard time on planes sometimes. He's always looking for those comfort plus seats, the exit rows. Yeah. (laughs) He struggles without it and takes all of my leg room, which I don't appreciate. Or just block the aisle, you know. You shall not pass. (laughs) Yeah, like the ladies are running their carts into his leg the whole time. It's like, oh, (laughs) jeez. But anyways, I am going to post this article in the show notes because this design that this plane designer came up with is wild. I read the article and it said double-decker airplanes might be the future of air travel. And I was thinking like a double-decker plane, which I have been on. Sorry to brag, but I've been on one and it was really cool. Uh, it, was cool a Luf- bro. <laughs> it was a Lufthansa flight and it was very cool. But this is not what you think. Basically, this designer, which I believe it's a kid from Spain, he's like 20 years old, but you put your luggage underneath your seat. There's no overhead bins. And then it's basically staggered seating. So some of the seats are higher, some of the seats are lower, like every other row. And I just, mm. I just can't imagine that. So but, you got to climb up to your seat? Yeah. Some, well, I'll put two articles. One was CNN that had where, yeah, you climb up to your seat. So you're basically like, you're already levitating in a plane and then you're like up a row. I would just hate that. Yeah. 
And then the bags, which I do like this idea. I would just hate it. But like the bags do go under the seat, which I think that's a good idea. Like, why do we all have to lift our bags in those overhead bins? That's stupid. Yeah, it is a little odd when you think about the luggage being over your head, I guess. Never really thought about it that way. Just that's how it was. Okay. Yeah. So I'll attach both of those articles so you guys can see it for yourself. Wild, as I like to say. So, KT, imagine you're on a road trip mm-hmm. and you're driving your new electric vehicle. My Tesla? I said electric vehicle. Right. Have you got that kind of money? Not at the moment. All right. And you need to recharge. Mm-hmm. So, you stop, but it takes 30 minutes to recharge. What are you going to do at that roadway stop with nothing there? Sit on Instagram. Okay, yeah, that's that's a valid answer, <laughs> but there are new signs coming to the highways as they build out an infrastructure of recharging stations mm-hmm. where they will make an attempt to highlight some of the historical small towns throughout America with charging stations. So while you wait your 30 plus minutes for your car to charge, you can explore the local small towns across America. What do you think about that? I love that idea. It's super cute. And it gives you something to do supporting small businesses across America. I'm down with it. I think it's a great idea. So you wouldn't just sit on Instagram? No, I wouldn't. I would explore the little towns, get a coffee, something like that. You would get a coffee and sit on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. But I think that's a really good idea. When are they implementing that? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's even in the future who knows how far it works you know how slow these things are right okay okay so one of jordan and i's favorite cities is venice and they were in the news recently because they are no longer allowing cruise ships as of august 1st to sail through the city center so now they have like a roundabout way they'll dock on the mainland in that industrial port but i think i agree with this decision because it's an important step for the safeguarding of the Venetian Lagoon. And that is what is important here, ladies and gentlemen. Do you agree? I'm just trying to picture a cruise ship in Venice. With it. I didn't remember seeing anyone. I never saw any, but it happens. It's just like these towering ships. And actually, there was an image in the article, and it just it just looks absurd. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. Especially knowing like Venice has like a timer on its kind of It's not going to be around forever. Already. So you want to preserve it as long and as best as possible. So yeah, I'm all for it. It's not like cruise ships aren't going to be able to go to Venice. They are. They're just going to have to stop on the mainland. You know, it's just their their route's changing. So get over it. On a good note, before we start the show, I would just like to share that Delta is reporting profit for the first time since before the outbreak. So Delta, great news for Delta, but more importantly, great news for travel. It's an indication of the way travel has begun bouncing back already, and we just hope for continued improvement, continued growth in that area, because we all want to get back out there and see the world again. So it's great news. Let's get to the show. Amanda and Ryan are world travelers, digital nomads, and podcast hosts themselves. They are the co-founders of The World Wanderers, a podcast and blog on traveling as a lifestyle, travel destinations, and the digital nomad life. They started traveling together in 2011 and haven't looked back. They have been over 60 countries since, and although Canada will always be home, they spend most of their time right now eating tacos and guacamole while exploring Mexico. 
Amanda and Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We're excited. Yay. So if you've listened to any of our episodes, we always ask the same thing first. And that is, what is your most memorable travel experience? Ooh, that's a good question. Do you have one or do you want me to go? Okay, so we went backpacking together for the first time in 2011. We just finished university or college, as you guys say, say in the US. And we were taking like a six-month, kind of like a gap year, I guess you could say. And we arrived in Iceland in the middle of June. So like, kind of like this time. It, the sun basically doesn't set. And we were arriving like late at night and getting off of this like little plane and just being like, it is like 11 p.m. I'm not tired at all because I've got weird jet lag. It's like bright out. It was just like the start of this like big trip, the longest that both of us had ever been away from home. And I feel like that's like a really strong memory that I have of like, cool, I'm doing this thing I've wanted to do for so long. And I'm in this place that's like so foreign and right, so strange. Exactly. And Iceland wasn't like that popular, I guess, like 10 years ago too. Like it's a big destination for people now to go and visit. But when we told people we were going to Iceland, they were like, Iceland? Like what's in Iceland? Like, why are you going there? And we were just doing it because it was like a really good layover to get us over to Europe to get to London. And we just had three days there and it was just amazing. So I just, I feel like that sticks out really strong in my memory of like this really incredible, like first step of our travel journey. Yeah. I think for me, it's on that same trip. So that was our first trip together and my first time traveling kind of independently without my family. And we went from Iceland. We were there for a couple of days. We went to London and we were only there for a couple of days. And we went to Wimbledon while we were there. We had like the get up at 4am and wait in the queue to get into Wimbledon. And then only a few days later, we had kind of the first thing we'd planned on that trip. The big anchor for that trip was we were going to go to San Fermin in Pamplona, Spain, which is like the running of the bulls and that whole event. And so we were probably like maybe 10 days into this big backpacking trip. And we were in San Fermin, this like crazy festival where... So for anyone who doesn't know, the way it works is there's usually a bullfight in the kind of afternoon, evening, and then people go out and party all night. And then the running of the bulls happens as like the end of the night in the morning, where all these people who have been partying all night, like try to run and escape from these bulls, get into a bull ring and then like dance around all these other bulls. And so we were there and it's just like the wildest festival and there's like no rules and you can like walk in and out of bars with like your glasses or your bottles of sangria and no one cares and it's just complete anarchy and so we were there at 21 and i remember thinking like this is incredible like <laughs> coming from like canada where everything's so like everyone follows the rules and everything's so by the book and being there I was like just kind of opening up of like anything is possible this is so amazing <laughs> uh, so that really stands out to me as like a moment where i was like i want to do this all the time yeah it makes a lot more sense. That whole festival makes a lot more sense now, knowing that everybody's been <laughs> drinking all night. Now I get where that courage comes from. <laughs> Liquid courage, right? That's what they call it. <laughs> Brought to you by Sangria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one thing that resonates with us is that first trip is always something really memorable. You know, for us, it was our time in Italy. It's always just like, you know, that first moment where you're just like, wow, when you realize how big the world is, mm -hmm. it always stands out to you. I think another cool thing that you mentioned was going to Iceland before it was popular. I think that's something we share. And mm -hmm. we were in Positano on the Amalfi Coast, like before it became like the it place. That was like seven Social years media, ago. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it would be interesting to go back and see 
how populated right. and what has changed since. There's always this like time when like these destinations get found, <laughs> you know, by like the social media space. And then all of a sudden, like everything changes. Even now, I just had somebody tell us they were going to Iceland. And yeah. Well, I can imagine back then, like you said, 2011, you know, that was before Instagram probably even. I don't even know if you guys had it at that point. I think it existed, but who had Instagram in 2011, honestly? I did. <laughs> okay. All right. No, actually, I think it did. It, when did Instagram come out? I think it was 2011. It was like, like, yeah, wow. I didn't yeah. get it till 2012. It was like a year later that I got it. Yeah. Interesting. So you two met in college, the natural next step, right? Everybody graduates college, you go on, you, you start your life, you know, your corporate life, you get a job, start a career. And what we're curious about is like, did that route come about naturally or, you know, did you pursue traveling right out of, out of college? Like how did that, what what was that time like for you guys? Yeah. So we started dating in our second year of college and I guess that's we like approached fourth year. We started, I guess, just having conversations about what things like look like after, you know, we were from different places and that type of thing. And it turned out that both of us had actually like wanted to travel afterwards. I had said like, Oh, if I go to college right out of high school, then, you know, I'll give myself a break to go and travel and see the world once I finish. And Ryan had a very similar idea. And so I think it was just very casual, like, Oh, well, why don't we just do it together? Like that seems like that would be really fun. And people were definitely like, you're pretty young. Like you've only been together for like two years, which is a long enough to travel together, but you have to remember we're like, you know, 21 at this point, 21, 22. And we were just like, whatever, I guess we'll see if it like works. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But we both want to do this thing. We want to do it at the same time. And so we both just spent a lot of time like saving money throughout our last year of college so that we were able to go. And we left like days after our convocation. So right after we did like the walk across the stage and I don't know, whatever they do with your hat or, or whatnot. Yeah, we, we flew to Iceland. We took that trip. Wow. And then after you guys got back, you guys went on to get careers. Yeah, yeah. At that time, socially as well, in Canada, it's a bit more common to do like a bit of a gap year. So like finish your school, go travel for a bit, come back home, and then like back to real life. So I feel like for us, it was, yeah, okay, we're going to have this big, amazing trip. But like after this, back to real life. So we spent basically all the money we had traveling for six months and then come back home. Well, I was from British Columbia, but went to school in Calgary. And then that's where we met. So we came back to Calgary and just both went about finding jobs. So Amanda found a job working in marketing at the business school that we'd gone to. And then I found a job working in the accounting department of a commercial flooring company, which is as exciting as it sounds. (laughs) And so we did... We kind of went through this phase of like having this amazing experience where we both felt like really alive and felt like this purpose every day back to like, okay, now we're just back on the the conveyor belt we've been on working. Like, is this really all there is? Like, is this what we're just going to be doing for the rest of our lives? And so we kind of stayed on that trajectory for, for a while until we decided like, Hey, this isn't for us. We want to do something again. So like, let's start saving let's start planning a new big trip. And we ended up working for two full years in Calgary and kind of more professional jobs before we decided that we wanted to change routes. And so we sold all our stuff, moved out of our apartment and flew with one-way tickets to South America for another six months. You guys are brave. Yeah, wow. that's terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because you both live a nomadic lifestyle and we do as well. And it's hard to go back because I have like girlfriends where it's like they're working nine to five, Monday through Friday. And it's just so hard for me to put myself in that space. Okay, shots at your friends. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's you not that. Tell it's the just, friends it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys better be listening to the podcast. I told you about it. No. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's different. Yeah, it's and it's weird too because I feel like, especially that first time, like we are 21 doing this and your kind of life is fairly regimented to this point where it's like you're going to school, you're going to university, you're doing your summer job and you go away and you like, have this experience over six months or whatever. And it feels like that six months feels super quick in one way because it feels like it passes where you're like, crap, it's over. But it feels very like in-depth where like you change so much and then you go home and you're like, I've seen so much and changed so much and then maybe not as much has changed here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that, what I meant. It's that's the what same I meant. when you go back. So you guys, you kind of gloss over this. You're like, yeah, we, we sold everything. We packed up and we moved to South America. Like, like, that's a big thing. Like, tell us about when you finally decided we're going to change things. And like, how did you do that? In the spring of 2012. So we got back to Canada right at Christmas time of 2011. That was like when we got back from our first six month trip. And then in the spring of 2012, I went to Peru, just me and a girlfriend, a girl I lived with in, in college. And I just like fell in love with the country. I was like, this country is amazing. You know, knew like a little bit of Spanish, like the food was great. Came back and it was like, Ryan, we have to go to South America. Like I just felt like there was something calling me like, to that continent. Like we just need to explore more. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. Like we already did this, not too sure. And then I think it was like my birthday of 2013, which is in February. So the beginning of 2013, Ryan gifted me a South America lonely planet. So I've been like working on him for a couple of months. Like we should go to South America. We should take another trip. Like we're both not happy with these jobs. And he gifted me this lonely planet and he's like, let's do it. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh my God, we're going to do this again. And that gave us like almost a full year to save enough money and that type of thing to be able to go again. And then we were just, we just sold like our furniture and extra clothes and we kept like a small storage unit for essentials, but yeah, I just got ready to, to leave essentially like plans happened pretty fast. And then it just took us like a couple of months to actually get everything in order and, and basically like save the cash to be able to do it. Wow. That's really brave. Yeah. Once again, but I'm wondering, was like there a moment after you left for South America where you were like, oh, damn, this is like too hard. Like maybe we should venture back to Canada or reevaluate life. Yeah, I think for us, it was once we got out and we're like traveling again, we slowly started to get back into a rhythm. But so, yeah, we had kind of gotten into and it sounds a bit like depressing, but like a bit of a funk when we were at home in those two years where I was kind of just like, we had traveled and had like some visions and ideas and thoughts about how we wanted to like change up our lives and directions we want to go, dreams we wanted to pursue. And kind of just felt like we fell back into this rhythm of like work Monday to Friday, go with friends. And I'd actually been dealing with a back injury that it kind of, I don't know, led me to being more of a hermit where I was like worried about kind of re-injuring myself all the time. And then as well, because that first big trip of like, okay, you finish college, you travel, and then you get a job is a bit more socially accepted. And like beforehand, I don't know, I was having all these doubts of like, what if I like quit my job? This is like my first 
kind of professional job. Like, am I going to be homeless when I come back? Like, what happens? Like, and you read these articles that are like, oh, if you take a career break, like that can result in like X million dollars of lost income over the course of your career. All these things that like kind of keep you on the rails. So making the decision came with quite a bit of anxiety around it and like less kind of support from like people around us where we're like, I think we're going to do this. And people are like, oh, are you sure? That sounds like a weird thing to do when you're like 24 and starting your career. It was like, you already did it. Like you already took your gap year. Like, right. like your fun's over. Like, yeah. Like you don't get to take another gap year. Like you don't do this again once you're in your mid twenties. And we were like, mm, I guess we do. <laughs> and then once we started, once we got out there and we were like traveling, I feel like we it took like maybe like a month of like almost like shedding this like skin or something of like, we're going places. And then, yeah, just feeling like alive again. And over the course of that trip, I think was when we were kind of figuring out like, hey, there's something about this that really makes us feel alive, that really makes us feel like this is something that we need to be doing. And we kind of know at that time, because we're spending our savings, that it's not a sustainable way to live. Um, You always, you know, you, you need to like, be generating as well as consuming. But that kind of got us started thinking about like, hey, is there a way we could do this more or a way we could incorporate this? So we're not on this pendulum of like doing this thing that makes us money that we don't feel excited about to like doing this thing that we like, but it's making us go broke. Like, how do we find a balance between those two things? Yeah. Mm -hmm. First of all, I want to say I feel a lot of appreciation for you sharing like your story about like selling everything. Like, I think that's such a brave thing to do. So many people in this world, like they can't give up a phone, let alone sell like everything that's like not important. It's one of the things that we've come to appreciate about our lifestyle is how little we need. And we've like, it's for, you know, when you move around like, like we do and like you guys do, it forces you to be minimalistic in a way. And it's really freeing. So like to hear that from you guys, like I really, I really appreciate that story. I think it's inspiring too that you followed your gut. Like people had opinions, they shared them with you. People are like, oh, that's not how this works. And you still were like, yeah, well, we just have this feeling in our gut and we're going to go for it. So I think that's cool. Yeah. Early on when you guys were traveling, did you look for opportunities to volunteer or to work to support your travels? I guess I volunteered a little bit when we were in South America at like an orphanage, I think it was, or like an after school program. But other than that, we mostly just, we mostly just traveled and lived off savings. We had gotten, so it's really easy for Canadians to get a work permit for a year in Australia. And so we'd gotten like the initial paperwork approved for that on our first trip, just in case we decided we wanted to stay or we needed to work at that point. But we had saved enough money that we were able to backpack the whole time on both trips, which was really nice because we got to just have like that experience of just like waking up and not having anything to do in the day, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And one of the things we kind of quickly discovered on our backpacking was we did like Europe first and then we went to Southeast Asia and we're like, Oh my God, everything is so affordable here. Like I remember we stayed in (laughs) Phnom Penh, Cambodia in a hotel that I think cost us $3 a night. It had bed bugs in it. So it wasn't, it was like, you get what you pay for. But especially like in South America too, we sometimes run across people who were like, you can, you know, volunteer at the hostels and get free stays. But we did a hostel where like it costs $7 a night. And someone's like, oh yeah, I volunteer like eight hours a day to get this room paid for. 
And we're like, have you done the math on that? Like, that's maybe better to just like go back home for a while, get a normal job, and then just come back out here and travel on savings. Right. Right. We were doing it very like bare bones, staying in dorm rooms, eating cheap, all that type of stuff. So... I think you guys have gotten Jordan beat with those 60 countries. Jordan's at like 42 right now. But what country that you visited surprised you the most? That's a good question. I guess there's two that are coming to mind. I feel like Bolivia was one that was really interesting for me and kind of just had a lot of surprises. And then Cambodia is another one. Oh, good. I was hoping you were going to say that. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, I feel like both of them are just different from other countries kind of in that area. Like we've traveled a lot of Southeast Asia and I feel like Cambodia is really unique. I guess Myanmar would be another one, but I wasn't super surprised by I guess things in Myanmar. But Cambodia definitely surprised me. And then yeah, Bolivia is like quite different, I think, from like its surrounding like surrounding countries and neighbors. So those would be mine. Yeah, I think for me, just as far as like the lived experience of it would be Colombia. So we had gone Like we went at the very start of 2014, so planning it in 2013. And I feel like part of this is just coming out of like ignorance, but never having been to any countries in South America or Latin America in general. And like at that time, the only ideas about Colombia I had were like danger and things like that. And you, you know, prior to your trip, you, you read the website about like kidnappings and like all the bad things that could happen to you. And like, yeah, we'd been to Southeast Asia before, so had a sense of like developing countries. But yeah, going to Colombia, I kind of just I had this one vision in my mind of what it would be like. And then we got there and I was like, this is amazing. Like everyone's so friendly. It's so easy to get around, like feel really safe. Yeah. And just was kind of blown away by like how awesome it was when I was coming in with like, what if we get kidnapped? Do I need to like have my knife on me in a taxi? <laughs> like all these kind of ridiculous things, which now, I mean, seem ridiculous. And I think now as well, like six years later, a lot of more and more people are traveling and with social media are telling, you know, their stories about how great some of these places are. But for me, that was really a surprise of just like how quickly we felt comfortable and just like immediately connected with the culture there. Yeah. You're lucky you got to go pre-Narcos. I mean, 2014, I think that was before Narcos. I'd never get yeah. her to go now. She's terrified. <laughs> no, we we actually thought about it when we were looking at, you know, we're in Aruba now and that's what we landed on. But we were looking at different options. When he said Columbia, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've heard the same thing, though, from a lot of people like that. Everybody, nice. that. everybody that I know that's gone there has like loved it. Yeah, it's one of those places, especially as you're traveling South America, there's kind of like people call it the gringo trail, where like people will backpack from one country to the next one and, and stuff. And everyone's like, where's your favorite place? Like, Colombia, like where like Medellin, Medellin, Colombia is like, 80% of people say that's their favorite place when they've been to a whole bunch of places in South America. Yeah, we kind of said like, we went there, I think it was like our fourth city or something like that. And then Anytime we were somewhere where we'd get there and we'd be like, it'd be like slightly uncomfortable or maybe it was like a hassle to get there. Or maybe we just like didn't have the greatest first impression. We just be like, mm, never should have left Medellin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, we'll have to add that one to our list. Yeah, you're sure. breaking the stereotypes. I like it. KT and I have noticed over the years that when you're taking on these big adventures, it's always easier and more enjoyable to do it with somebody somebody else like somebody especially a partner somebody you care about but how has that affected your adventures how has that made your you know you've done all this stuff together right you uh, you mentioned having your one trip with your friend but 
you guys have taken all these adventures together. How has that helped you guys like with this lifestyle, having each other? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Like we've seen a lot of people spend, a lot of couples in particular spend like more time than they had ever spent together over the last year during the pandemic. And for Ryan and I, like, you know, quarantine life in the pandemic is not new for us. Like this is basically, yeah, the way we've been living, you know, especially nomadically over the last five years. And then also when we were backpacking and that type of thing. So I feel like it's just like you spend so much time together, which is such a gift, like to have that much time to spend together. And when you get to a point where it's like, you don't have anything to like catch up on anymore, you're kind of forced to talk about like, you know, big life questions and figure out like, are you aligned on like these deeper values and beliefs and what you really like believe about life and things like that. And so I feel like not only have we shared like a lot of really like beautiful experiences together, like things like seeing Machu Picchu or Iguazu Falls or, you know, going to, you know, some really like cool historic places in Europe and Asia. But it's like, we've also shared a lot of challenges together where it's like missing a bus or a plane or being like covered in sweat or like, you know, having diarrhea, things like that, where it's like, we've had to figure out how to communicate properly and work out these challenges and, just like spend a lot of time together. So I feel like it's really been like a blessing for our relationship. That's inspiring. I think some of our best conversations come from, come during our travels. Yeah. It's like you get to know each other on a deeper level than I think a lot of couples do because you, you spend so much time together. It's funny because I was joking with Jordan. I said, after this trip, we need to like spend a whole 24 hours away from each other just because we haven't been apart in so long. Just words. Those are just words. <laughs> She'll be right we'll be right there together. <laughs> yeah. It's, we usually try to do like, we've both taken like solo trips as well. And we usually like once a year, we'll have like a girl's trip or, you know, vice versa, that type of thing. But I feel like just with the pandemic, like I don't think we spent like any time apart in well over a year. Other than like day to day. Yeah, 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 for sure. Day to day. So backpacking, let's touch on that. So before you guys became nomads, you were backpackers, right? We've never backpacked before. What was that like? And like, why did you guys prefer to travel that way? So for us, I mean, I guess it just felt kind of like the most accessible thing. Like, I feel like it was like, if we had at the option at like 19 years old to be like luxury travelers, we would have been like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> um, we're like, we've got like, I don't know. I don't know how much money we had saved up that first trip, like 10 grand. Yeah, probably about that. And so we're like, how can we make this money last over six months? And the answer is like, doing everything cheap, staying in hostels, you know, walking from like the train station to wherever you're staying, eating like deli meat and stealing buns from the hostel breakfast to eat at lunch (laughs) as well. So for us, it was just kind of like, that was like the way to do it. You know, it was the most accessible thing. And then also, I think we just kind of fell in love with it. That first trip, especially the, the staying at different hostels and kind of getting to know all these other people who are doing this similar thing, because it is kind of like this interesting community where you'll run into people in one city and then a couple of cities down and you show up at a new hostel and you just make fast friends with all these people. And it's, it's really interesting because I think for us, it was really important for our development because you show up and you're maybe you're staying in like a hostel room with like 10 people and you're used to kind of like judging people. And maybe you find out that you end up connecting with people you dismissed originally or you, you know, you're in a room and you're like, Oh, I think I'll be friends with that person. And then like 
a couple hours later after you've had a few drinks and you're like, oh, I really don't like them at all. So yeah, just really got to meet so many interesting people and it just opens your perspective so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it was like, definitely, we could have done a shorter trip and done, I mean, Airbnb wasn't really even a thing like a decade ago. So we could have done hotels, but obviously we would have had to travel for a significantly shorter period of time. So yeah, like Ryan said, we were just like, how can we stretch this money as far as possible? And it's pretty cool. Like with hostels, you can usually show up at a hostel. You can book them online on like Hostel World or Hostel World was usually what we used. And you can show up and they'll usually have like events going on, like being doing like bar crawls or dinners together, or they'll be like walking tours. And it's all geared towards younger people, backpackers. So it's super affordable which is really, really great. And then they can also often book like your bus to the next place and and whatnot. So we felt like it was just like such a great way to travel, especially in that time when we weren't as connected because 2011, we didn't travel with cell phones. Like, you know, we traveled with like a lonely planet and we would often like look at the directions and like screenshot them on my iPad. And then we would just like follow those directions, like old school, like, walk to this building, turn right, turn left. And it's like the house with the yellow door type thing. (laughs) We didn't have like iPhones that were directing us places. So I feel like it was a really cool time to be able to do that trip because technology's advanced so fast since then, which obviously makes our current lifestyle, you know, possible and super easy. But yeah, I think just being young and wanting to meet people and wanting to go out a little bit and then wanting to save money was the biggest factors. Can't imagine. No, it reminds me of when my mom, we used to go on like road trips or vacation and she'd print off the map, the map quest, quest and I'd sit in the passenger <laughs> she- seat and she'd be like, okay, now tell me what to do. I'm like, turn right at the second light. You know, it's like things have changed so much. It's it was funny. it was the funniest thing because, yeah, we'd use Hostel World to book places and then each hostel would have like the direction. So it'd be like usually we take maybe to take the train somewhere and you arrive. And someone who is like maybe written it in like Spanish or Italian and then translated it into English. These like the weirdest directions to follow. But somehow we were just always like, because we didn't have like cell phone data or whatever. We're like, I guess we just follow the directions. And it's like, turn left at this thing and then turn right at this thing. And then we, we'd arrive at a fork that's just not mentioned in the directions. I feel like backpacking is really unglamorous. Like I feel like I remember being sweaty a lot. Like getting off of a plane, and you know, you're already gross from traveling, and then you like have your big backpack on your back, you have your small backpack on your front, you're like following these like directions you've screenshotted, walking through a new city, and it's like, oh, it should only take 20 minutes, but it takes an hour because you have like no idea where you're going. Right. And you got bad directions. I mean, traveling, man, again, we've never backpacked, but it makes you feel so empowered and like capable. You know, you like feel like, man, I could I could do anything. And so, I mean, traveling that way, I can only imagine how you guys feel. Something I just have to ask, as an overpacker myself and someone <laughs> who has never been backpacking before, how do you manage that? How big are these backpacks? Is this like you can fit everything in it? Or are you like having to, you know, obviously do your laundry or buy new, like, you're not, decis- you're, not de- you're not decisive enough for that. No, I don't think I am. So can you give our listeners and myself some some advice there? Yeah, for sure. So I think my backpack's like 75 liters. So it's a good size. Like it's probably pretty close to what you could fit in a suitcase. 
And I mean, it was full transparency. Like I had to ship clothes home on the first trip because like my backpack, I thought I was going to break the zipper. I just like packed way too many things. And after we got out of the UK and into Spain on that trip, I was like, well, I don't need like three pairs of pants. You know, I'm probably fine with like one pair of jeans or two pairs of jeans and like, you know, one pair of leggings type thing. And, you know, one jacket, not two. So I learned really quickly, like, what I didn't need. And I think when you have to like cart that weight around, you have like incentive to not buy things. Like we find even, you know, we've been in Mexico for like eight months. We've been in our current apartment for three months. And there's like all of the luxuries in Mexico that you have in the US. So it's like, I bought like a bunch of stuff from H&M a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, I have to pack this all up soon. (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's going to (laughs) fit. So I feel like when you're like packing and unpacking a lot, When we backpacked, I think we were every four days having to repack. It's like you do have a lot of incentive to not have a lot of stuff. Yeah, I learned that lesson not from not so much from having to backpack and carry it, but just from how much stuff I've left around the world. When you live somewhere nine, 10 months, like you have to buy some things, right? But like there's so many places along the way that I've just like Russia, there's a pile of stuff that I just couldn't bring. You know, and Jordan's a reader. So I remember like our <sighs> first year in Rome, he made me bring a whole duffel, like an athlete's duffel bag of books, hardcover books. And I was like, I'm never doing this again, like ever. I, was, did, I did the book thing for a few years before. I was just like, can't. Kindle. He has a Kindle now, an yeah. iPad. And <laughs> yeah. I also have, I don't wouldn't call it a problem, but like, I like to have books. I, greatly prefer reading physical books to the Kindle. So like the first time we traveled, I think I ended up like half my bag was like books. And it's also like, oh, I've read these books, I've underlined them, I've written my notes in them. Like, I don't want to like just leave them places. And then yes, I was able to kind of successfully shift to a Kindle for a while, which created some good space. But then lately, I've just been kind of like, like I miss physical books. And also I'm reading in Spanish now. And so we're like in Mexico, I'm like, I want to buy my favorite books in Spanish. I don't want to read them on the Kindle or maybe I can't get them in the Kindle store. So I'm going to have a problem when we're trying to go back to Canada in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure how it's going to be resolved yet. Yeah. The other day I was looking around our apartment. I think I counted 13 books, none of which are mine. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's definitely different. The physical book is different. I mean, I'm, I have the iPad with the pencil and it's, it's cool, but like, it's just something about those pages and highlighting. It's just, it's just <laughs> different, man. It's different. It's definitely the hardest part for me about about traveling and packing is figuring that whole situation. Because then I got a bunch of notebooks too that I will write in, and like I got different <laughs> notebooks for different things. And so it's like it's you just, can't leave your like deepest darkest secrets in your notebooks, like no, in a gotta, different country. Like you got to burn them. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on, I just kind of want to touch on backpacking, and I know you outlined some packing things for the backpacking, but do you have any other pointers for someone that might be interested in getting started? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like just doing it is the biggest thing. Like, I think it can be really scary. Like the idea of maybe sharing space with strangers or maybe staying in a new country where you don't know people. But I think like the natural kind of environment of hostels is super welcoming, especially to like solo travelers or people who are traveling for the first time. And it's really great because you basically like automatically have friends like right away when you're backpacking. So I think just not being afraid to just like go and do it and put yourself out there. And then, you know, using a service like a booking service like Hostel World is great because it's got reviews. And so similar to like the way Airbnb works, but the way you can see reviews and how they're broken down, Hostel World works very much the same way. 
And so we relied like pretty heavily on people's reviews to pick places that were a good fit for us. And so I think using that type of service is, is really worth it. Yeah. And then I definitely echo that. And then one great book that's more of like an inspiration is uh, Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. So if anyone's kind of interested, that's an awesome book to kind of get some inspiration out of. Book Rex. I like it. I like where the show's going. That's been a common theme, though, from a lot of our guests. It's just just having the courage to just do it. It can be really scary, whether you want to backpack or solo travel or buy a one way ticket. Yeah, that's been the that thing. Was, that was one piece of advice we got in the past as well. So you guys are digital nomads now. You transitioned from the saving up and backpacking. You guys are full time on the road supporting your lifestyle. And you've been doing it for half a decade. It's become somewhat of a buzzword, but we want to know how did it start supporting that lifestyle and how has that kind of evolved over the years? Yeah, it definitely was a bit of an adventure. So on that actual, the very first trip we took, so in 2011, we met a guy at a hostel in Switzerland who was working from there. And I remember that just kind of like blew my mind. I was like, what? Like he, he was a programmer. I, I don't know if he worked independently or what, whatever, but like I obviously never heard of digital nomads before. And I was like, that's wild, but that sounds amazing. Like, how do I make that happen? And then so kind of put that to the side. Three years later, when we're in South America, we're meeting kind of more people who are doing like teaching English abroad and stuff like that. So that's kind of how we started thinking. We kind of knew like, hey, we want to do something that's got a lot of adventure in it. We don't want to go home and get jobs. We want to try to do something else. So we were kind of thinking like, okay, maybe we can start looking for opportunities to teach English in like China and Korea, where people are like making good money and able to travel around a lot. So we started thinking about that. And that was around the same time we started our podcast in 2014. That wasn't for us. That was more of like a you know a passion thing where we were like, we just love having these conversations. Let's keep doing this. We can use it as a context to interview people. And we were never thinking like, oh, hey, this could be something that could allow us to be digital nomads. But just kind of started on that and just started kind of with all these like smaller projects. But then I think the big thing that was where Amanda started like more of a nomad life was I found a, a program and a job in Atlanta, Georgia, and went through the process to apply for it, got accepted, kind of figured out all the visa stuff. And then we moved to Atlanta, which allowed me to work from there. But Amanda wasn't going to be able to work in the States because she didn't have a work visa. So that kind of like forced her to figure out how to, to work online back in 2015. Yeah. And so I was working for a yoga studio in Canada. And I basically was like, Hey, I don't really like need to be at the studio. Could I just like maybe try and see if it works for me to do this like from Atlanta? And he was like, Yeah, sure. He's like, Why don't we why don't we try it and see if it works? And then, you know, we were working on the World Wanders. I think we signed our first sponsor right around then. I launched another podcast on the business of yoga. I was teaching some yoga. And so I mean, I wasn't making like that much money, but I just started doing that and, and growing that. And then shortly after Ryan finished his work contract, it was about a year later, we both got offered coaching positions with one of the companies he'd been working with. And that kind of got us both to a level where we were making enough money that we were like, okay, I think we can like leave Canada. We can go do this somewhere else. And I mean, Canada and the US are extremely expensive. So for anyone who is making like, you know, maybe you're making like one to $2,000 a month, that goes so much further when you're in like Mexico or Southeast Asia. So it was actually really great to be able to head over to Southeast Asia and work from there because we're like, sweet, we can actually like live pretty comfortably here. We're not like below the poverty line. This gives us like, you know, less stress to actually work on our businesses, grow what we're doing. 
And then, you know, slowly from there, things just started developing, taking shape and growing more and more to the point where we were making like sustainable money. Right. Again, I just reiterating, you guys started small, you know, it was Ryan's job and the small move and having the courage to ask for that opportunity. And it wasn't just, you know, a lot of people might look at the world wanderers and look at you guys now and think that it's unattainable or, you know, they couldn't do it, but it just starts with, you know, a small step like, Hey, can I work from here? Finding out opportunities that kind of offer you bits of freedom to start to build that life. I like how you guys said you were building your company as you were doing those things too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's so, it's so, um, I think now too, we just did an episode on, on why like it's such a great time to start as a digital nomad, especially like over the past year, so much more work is available remotely and there's so many more like services and options and tools and co-working spaces. So it's such an awesome time, but it, it stems, starts from that like decision of just like, for us, we were like, okay, I'm finishing this job. We don't have like our financial plans in order or our budget in order. We just bought tickets to Southeast Asia and we're like, we're going there. We're going to figure it out and it's going to be cheap to live and we're going to figure it out eventually. Um, and then once you're living in Southeast Asia or you're traveling full-time, you're not going to take a full-time job in any one given place. So your only opportunities that come your way are the ones that you can say yes to. Yeah, that reminds me when Jordan and I were here in Aruba, we were eating at like a Reuben restaurant and this family from Venezuela was there and they were telling us like, they're like, oh, where are you guys staying? Like, how long are you here? We were talking about the different dishes we were trying and they were like, yeah, you know, like with our job, we don't have to go to the office. So we just came here for a month and they found somewhere to like a house to rent here. It was like a monthly rate. Yeah. There's a ton of, so that's one thing you guys talk about. Like right now, especially in the world, there's a ton of monthly rates and things available for. And Airbnb was giving like 45% off or something. If you stay for a month. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, like it's $1,700 for the month. And I was just like, wow. And this was a whole family, like, you know, with two kids, like they Mm -hmm. were, they were doing it. So it's like almost anybody can do it. And it's hard. It might be harder for people with a physical job. Right. Unless you find something that, allows that type of freedom but there's so many people now that can do that yeah that they couldn't before so i think that's it's cool like you guys started that and you're you're, (laughs) trendsetters yeah exactly but now everyone's thinking about it or attempting it can you talk to us more about the world wanderers about your podcast like what made you start it in the first place i know you said it was a passion project but when did you decide like oh hey this might be a little more than that Yeah. So the idea was actually Ryan's. He suggested it while we were kind of like near the end of our South America trip. And he was like, I think we should start a podcast. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think like we're people who can start podcasts. Like we don't have like, you know, degrees in broadcasting or radio. And he's like, no, that's a beautiful thing about podcasting. Like anyone can start one. And I was like, oh, okay. Like what would we talk about? And he's like, well, we've traveled a lot. Like that could be pretty cool. And so I was like, okay, I'm open to the idea. And so we started, we didn't have any of the equipment. So we just started like practicing having conversations on like one of our iPhones, I think it was just like recording it. It like sounded bad. We'd be in like hostel rooms when nobody else was there, that type of thing. But just starting to like, what would it be like to have these conversations? And then we got back to Canada shortly after that, actually got like microphones and learned how to do a podcast and we launched it in August of 2014. 
And I think I was pretty much right away. I was like, oh, on Libsyn, there's like this button for ads. Like, when do we get to add ads to our show? And Ryan's like, we have like one person a day listening to our podcast. Like, we need more people. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I think it was probably a year and a half before we had our first sponsor. No, longer than that. Yeah, we had, yeah, we started in August 2015. 2014. 2014. And then, yeah, it was kind of funny. I remember early on, we had this day probably like two months in where like 50 people listened to it. And it was because we weren't like doing anything. We just put the episodes up on the internet. And then I was like, well, 50 people listened to it. Like, what happened? Like, is, is that like, we were also kind of, you know, just like baby podcasters where you're like sharing your opinions on things and like worried that people are going to like start like arguing with you or something. But yeah, it just kind of kept like growing and growing and growing. And then I think it was in 2016. So like 18 to 20 months later, where we like finally got our first sponsor. And we're like, okay, cool. Like this is actually like something that's happening. We can like make some of our money doing from this. And then I started reaching out to other companies to see if they would sponsor the show and kind of going from there. Mm-hmm. Did you ever listen to a podcast in 2014? I am an avid podcast listener, but I don't think I was into it in 2014. I yeah. think that was even a little early for yeah. me. No, that's impressive. I think that you guys were... You had you know, that idea. You had the idea and the courage to follow through and it wasn't like... Now it's like everybody's got a podcast, you know? <laughs> Everyone Everyone starts one. <laughs> so in high school and university, I worked in vineyards in the summer. So it was like eight to 10 hours a day, you're just standing outside, like with friends, which is fun, but like also just doing really menial, like physical tasks, like peeling leaves off grapes and stuff like that. And so I would just listen to podcasts like all the time. And at that point, it was like, there wasn't even enough stuff to listen to. Like I had a couple like hockey shows I liked, and I'd listen to like the Joe Rogan show. And but it'd be like, Oh, it's Tuesday, I've got to wait until like Wednesday, because there's not enough content. But yeah, I was listening to an episode while we were hiking of Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. And, and this was, like, I don't know, episode in like 2013, I guess. And he had talked about how he got fired from his job, started, decided to start this podcast. And at that point, he'd kind of just gone full time doing it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I bet, I bet we could do something like that as well. So that was the inspiration on his show, Smart Passive Income. I think it's cool too, how you talk about practicing those conversations. And I think that's one of the things we've enjoyed most about on arrival so far is that these are conversations that we enjoy anyways, you know, as I'm sure you guys can relate. These are conversations you would probably had in the hostel with your friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for us, we'd have these conversations over dinner with family and friends. And it just, you know, it's a way to, to share these experiences and your thoughts in a way that you probably would do anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I really resonated. You guys said this on our show, just like having these conversations and then wanting to record them. And I think that was like very much the same for us. Like, we're having so many cool conversations with, you know, other travelers with each other. Like, why don't we actually make that like something that's official? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you kind of touched on this, but what can people expect when they listen to the world wanderers podcast? Yeah. So the world wanderers podcast, we kind of think of it as a bit of like a free form look into our lives. So it's always evolving, always changing, but it combines, we do interviews with with great guests like yourselves, but people who are living interesting lives that incorporate travel. So it's not so much just about travel. It's about like living self-directed lives like around the world and whatever that looks like. So we've got 
lots of interesting episodes on people doing all sorts of interesting stuff. And then we also document a lot of our own travels on there. So we recently are about to put out an episode that's kind of documenting a road trip we took here in Mexico down to Manzanillo and Barra de Navidad. And then interviews and then occasionally kind of topic episodes we'll do and talk about stuff related to digital nomad life. So anyone who's really interested in kind of going beyond here's a destination, it's cool for these reasons, and more deeper into like travel as a lifestyle, I think we'll find a lot of interesting stuff they like. Love that. Yeah, I listened on our way to Aruba. I listened to the episode with the Canadian guy that took his family to the monastery, I think. It's, oh, yeah. It was like, that was Bruce a really Kirby. cool episode. Yeah, very cool. That being down here in Aruba has got me like, man, I want to. <laughs> Jordan's like, I wonder if they have a training facility here. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> the Aruba national team. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go home. I'm, I'm good here. I'm good here. <laughs> Our last question today is, Travel is fun and it's exciting and you guys have lived just an unbelievable life so far, bouncing everywhere around the world. But are you guys ever tempted to settle down? Do you see that in the near future? Yeah. I mean, this is like the question I think everyone wants to know. And I think like we don't really know the answer to that. I mean, obviously with the pandemic over the last year, like we were definitely forced to slow down in a pretty big way. I mean, we were in Canada for like seven months and we did... I mean, we looked at like buying a buying a house, getting an investment property. It didn't end up working out, which I think was just a sign from the universe that that's not what we were meant to do. But I think we're pretty set on basing ourselves in Mexico over the next couple of years and then traveling from here. I think just as things start to reopen, you know, we were talking about this before we officially started, like there's just a lot of rules and regulations and hoops to jump through. And I think for us, we're like, we really like it here. We have a good time zone. The climate's great. Um, we have residency here. We can stay in Mexico. So I think we kind of are slowing down a little bit. Yeah, we definitely have kind of like over time realized we really enjoy kind of settling into a place more. And so we, we tend to stay or kind of at least set up a home base somewhere for three to six months and then use that as kind of a hub. And one of the reasons we love being in Mexico is that domestic flights, they're getting more expensive, but tend to be very affordable, very available as well. So like this past weekend, we spent four days in Mexico City and we've traveled a bunch while just kind of basing ourselves here in Puerto Vallarta. So we kind of feel as well, we've fallen in love a bit with Mexico and where it's a place where when we came for the first time, we had a list of like five things we wanted to see. And now we've been here for like more or less three, four years. And our list, it's so massive because there's so many places we want to see now. So yeah, we, we found that we like more of that lifestyle of like have set up a home base for three to six months, use it as a hub, go back to Canada for a few months, spend time with our family, and then try to go somewhere else for a bit more of like an adventure every year is more of our rhythm. But when we were starting, we were like, okay, two weeks on the next one, like, let's keep it moving. So we've definitely slowed down a bit. That's cool. Yeah, I feel like that's a really common thread with digital nomads within the community is like finding your home base or home bases, and then working your adventures from there. So for anyone listening, I think that's a that's a good way to go about strategy for sure. Yeah. Last but not least, we want to follow you guys. We want our listeners to listen to the podcast. Where can they find you? Yeah. So anywhere that they're listening to this show, they should be able to find out The World Wanders. We're on all major podcast platforms and then at theworldwanders.com. And then on Instagram and Facebook, it's at the World Wanders podcast. Great. Yeah. We'll be sure to share that in the 
in the show notes. And thank you guys so much for joining us. It was a great time. So thank you. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of On Arrival. We've had so much fun recording these episodes and sharing them with you every week. If you like this episode, share it with somebody. And don't forget to subscribe to our show, On Arrival Podcast, on all podcast platforms. We would really appreciate it if you would write us a positive review wherever you choose to listen. And look for us on social media at On Arrival Travel on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're looking for more episodes, you can always head over to onarrival.com.